The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I ran twice, I won twice. And did much better the second time. He's got $103 million sitting in a pack, and, you know, he's got 100% name ID, whether you like him or not. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I'm worried about the person that can't feed their families. I think they can do it if they stick to doing things like this CHIP Act, the things you can get through a 50-50 Senate. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Donald Trump makes his return to the Capitol. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the former president paints a bleak picture of the nation in his speech still underway. Just hours after Mike Pence delivered his vision for conservative politics only blocks away in D.C., we'll explore the battle lines being drawn here today and what will emerge as the Republican agenda ahead of 2024 with political scientist and author Samara Clark of the Arizona School of Public Policy. Later, the CHIPS Act suddenly on the verge of passing and COVID funding is running out. We'll talk about both with Congresswoman Deborah Ross, Democrat from North Carolina. Analysis from our signature panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. If timing is everything in life, it sure fed the news cycle today in Washington. As bad weather last night, we had horrible thunderstorms here, forced Mike Pence to roll out his conservative vision on the same day Donald Trump returned to Washington for the first time since leaving the White House, setting up, well, it was a big split screen today for politicos that some think could be a preview of 24, if only in principle, realizing these two men may not run against each other, but they might. So beyond some overlapping policy ideas, the speeches. Well, they could not have been different. Mike Pence speaking to the Young America's Foundation today treated the event like a full-blown campaign announcement with the backdrop, the conservative movement starts here. They had Elton John playing before he came in and he opened with a few attempts at humor. This is a get ready for the new, more relaxed Mike Pence. Let's listen. You know, the good part about no longer being vice president is uh, you get to drive your own car. Bad part is you get to pay for your own gas. And Karen and I uh, can confirm now, with personal experience, Governor, you can can actually be a congressman from your home state for 12 years. You can be the governor of your home state for four. You can even be vice president of the United States of America. But you're still going to wait 25 minutes for a table at Olive Garden on Saturday night at 7 (laughs) o'clock. Okay. This guy's filling his pockets with breadsticks. Uh, it was not all live at the improv. He turned to policy for most of the speech, actually. He carefully uh, rehearsed speech, touching on the border, the economy, reproductive rights, foreign policy, what you would expect to come from Mike Pence. Donald Trump, meantime, spoke to an America First Policy Institute summit not too far away from uh, where Mike Pence was. A, a kind of a sober address. Is he still going? Hang on. He's still going. 
that started with painting a very dark picture of America focused largely on crime. Here's Donald Trump. The radical left's anti-police narrative is a total lie. Let's call it the big lie. Have you ever heard that expression before? The big lie. That's why next year our new majorities in Congress should vote to strengthen qualified immunity and other protections for our great police officers. They have to become our heroes. They are mine, but some people, they don't feel that way. They're going to have to feel that way if we're going to have a great country and a safe country. Subdued Trump, uh, blue suit, red tie, he looked just like you remembered him last time you saw him in D.C., at the podium, by the way, following Kevin McCarthy and Newt Gingrich, who did a little interview-style thing, uh, Donald Trump did not announce a run for president, but listen to his choice of words as he talked about the next two elections. Here he is. This November, the people are going to vote to stop the destruction of our country, and they're going to vote to rescue America's future. I'm here before you to begin to talk about what we must do to achieve that future. When we win a triumphant victory in 2022 and when a Republican president takes back the White House in 2024, which I strongly believe will happen. Uh When a Republican, when a Republican takes the White House is very different than what we've been hearing in the in the speeches at the rallies when he says I won once I won twice and I might just have to do it again we didn't have that kind of style and by the way he did not mention Mike Pence by name if somebody heard that let me know I should email Mario Parker and and confirm that but I never heard Mike Pence mentioned by name Mike Pence did not announce a run either and it's unclear if he ever will though it sure sounded like I said a a campaign event today at the end of the speech they went to Q&A with the young people in the crowd, it was brief. But this is where we get to the real stuff here. As the first person asked whether the divide between Pence and Trump symbolized a divide in the broader Republican Party, here's the first part of his answer. Well, I will tell you that I couldn't be uh, more proud of the record of the Trump-Pence administration. I mean, for four years, we advanced the policies that I just described without apology to promote a, a growing economy, to secure our border. We appointed more than 300 conservatives to our federal courts at every level, including three Supreme Court justices. We rebuild our military, all of what I described. And I'll always be grateful for the opportunity to serve as vice president. So I don't know that our movement is that divided. Okay, so we're good. Pence repeatedly referred to the accomplishments of the Trump-Pence administration. That's what he called it, but Listen to the second part of his answer. It's fascinating. Listen to how carefully he describes what makes him different than Donald Trump. I don't don't know that the president and I differ on issues, but we may differ on focus. I, I truly do believe that elections are about the future and that it's absolutely essential at a time when so many Americans are hurting, so many families are struggling, that we don't give way to the temptation to look back. We differ on focus. Let's bring in Samara Clark, political scientist, associate professor at the University of Arizona School of Government and Public Policy, author of Independent Politics, How American Disdain for Parties Leads to Political Inaction. We're watching a fascinating, uh, Samara, uh, uh, sort of uh, split in this party take place before our eyes here with Donald Trump on one side of town and Mike Pence on the other. What stuck out to you? 
as the contrast between these former partners? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's interesting to see it play out here in Arizona specifically, because we have seen over the last few years a real divide within Republican voters in Arizona. You know, Arizona has always sort of been a a bit of a moderate state, really. Democrats and Republicans both in Arizona tend to view themselves as moderate and tend to be drawn toward moderate candidates. But as we see the Republican Party in Arizona sort of losing their grip on power, it looks as though candidates here seem to be veering hard to the right and maybe in an attempt to win back their base. So we're seeing here between Mm. Pence and Trump are sort of two different types of conservatism sort of at battle with each other in here in Arizona. And it's going to be real kind of a neck-and-neck race between these two groups. If you look at sort of Mm -hmm. the polling of how Republican candidates in Arizona are doing, it's hard to know whether Trump's endorsement or Pence's endorsement is going to win. I think it's going to be kind of right down to the wire. Yeah. Uh, Trump has finished, by the way, just a minute ago. That makes it, what, over 90 minutes? Uh, that that uh-huh. was an extended, you know, and he went way off the script for a lot of it, talking about some pretty dour stuff here. Uh, I got dinged on Twitter uh, today, Samara, for saying on, on TV this morning that, you know, Mike Pence actually had has something going here, that, that he may well, in fact, end up running for president, that there are Republicans who want that alternative to Trump. We've seen polls that show a majority of Republicans would prefer somebody else to be at the front of the party. Uh, how far off am I on that? Is Mike Pence laying the groundwork or is this about midterm messaging? Well, listen, I learned in 2016 to never make predictions. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that ever again. Uh, but it's, it's too early to tell. I mean, I think right now both of them and probably any potential candidate in 2024 kind of want to see how things go in 2022. Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't think it's really quite clear right now whether the sort of Trump MAGA movement is going to be the dominant electoral movement in the Republican Party. We, we get really mixed messages. I mean, some Trump-endorsed candidates have done really surprisingly well, far better than I think mm-hmm. most pundits would have predicted, and others have just absolutely tanked. And we've seen that happen, you know, in 2020 as well. Here in Arizona, Martha McSally had Trump's endorsement, and, you know, she's running in a state that typically elects Republican candidates for Senate. She was a pretty well-known candidate, and she she couldn't do it. Mark Kelly came out with mm-hmm. a victory, and he may, you know, win again in his next upcoming election. So we don't it, – it's hard to know. Trump hasn't consistently – uh, performed for these candidates, yeah. but it's it, we're going to have to see how the midterms play out. When you put these two speeches today side by side and you hear Mike Pence referring repeatedly yeah. to the Trump-Pence administration and Donald Trump not mention his name for better yeah. or worse today, what's that symbolize to you? Well, I mean, well, the first thing that struck me, just hearing the juxtaposition of the speech is just the energy in, in That's Pence's for sure. speech relative to Trump. I mean, it's like hearing a young candidate versus, an, uh, frankly, an old one. I mean, they just sound so different, and the, Trump just sounds so exhausted. Now, that might just be his attempts at trying to sound dark, at trying to sort of yeah. increase this threat. And we found in political science research and lots of my own research, we see that when candidates invoke threat, when they get people worried and anxious, that tends to increase support. So sure. Trump's obviously trying to play but that game. we also game. know that you have to have a positive message to win for president at some point here, right? I mean, if you, you can't just win on grievances. No, absolutely not. I mean, I, the truth is, I think grievances have, have worked for Trump a lot, in, sort of in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but that's, Pence is really trying to distinguish himself from Trump. And you can see him doing that just sort of in his tone, his sure. attitude. And 
he has to be careful about it. because Even though he carries the brand in a speech like today. Samara Clark, thank you so much. University of Arizona School of Government and Public Policy with us to get things rolling on the fastest hour in politics. We have to throw this to the panel. Rick and Jeannie are here. Don't worry. We'll check markets and traffic for you on the way on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The America described by Donald Trump today in Washington sounded like a scene from the new Batman movie. Crime-ridden cities full of violence. Get a taste of this speech today, as I mentioned, and we brought to you a short time ago a very dour mood as he started and, and gave the lay of the land. Here's Donald Trump. Our streets are riddled with needles and soaked with the blood of innocent victims. Many of our once great cities from New York to Chicago to L.A., where the middle class used to flock to live the American dream, are now war zones, literal war zones. Every day there are stabbings, rapes, murders, and violent assaults of every kind imaginable. He then went on uh, to list a series of crimes, too many for us to mention. We were going to play a couple of them for you, but realized it would take the whole segment. This was an extended speech. He talked about people being bludgeoned in their cars, people being hit in the head with metal clubs. Uh, it, It sounded like a dark place. And the contrast between Donald Trump's approach today and Mike Pence's could not have been more stark. Let's assemble the panel. I've been looking forward to it. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors. As the Republican at the table here, Rick, your thoughts on the contrast drawn between these two speeches. Their policies largely overlap. They were partners not that long ago, obviously, sharing an administration. But the approach today couldn't have been more different. Yeah, it really was a contrast in light, uh, sort of the hope and the future of our country uh, given by former Vice President Pence and his continued sort of depiction of a country in distress and the darkness that surrounds everybody, uh, you know, from our former president, Donald Trump. I mean, this was his elixir in 2016. You know, most people forget, but, you know, he campaigned on saying that, you know, migrants were stampeding across the border and roving yeah. mobs of thieves in the streets. Right. So, I mean, this is a guy who has that perspective on America. Nothing has changed, I guess, in the period of time, seven years, since that primary campaign in 2016. And so we see that echoed again. I mean, you know, many, many people remember his inaugural address. It was, and I was incredibly just dark. And so this is just who he is. He thinks about all the bad things that are happening uh, and and I think Pence, especially his focus on faith in today's speech, um, really focuses on on I think what he hopes to be a brighter future. And obviously, some of the policies to get there are the same. I do yeah. agree that it was a parallel track, a reiteration of sort of the Trump era policies that uh, both men em- embrace. But 
taken in a completely different light. You can't ignore, Jeannie, the similarities between at least some of this speech and what we heard uh, at his inaugural, which which was a, a, an America, you know, on fire. Certainly the case today. Uh, but what are we talking about here? Are these two candidates for 24 who just started their campaigns or is this about midterm politics? This is all about them. This is 2024 and we're seeing the invisible primary at work. And I have to say, I had flashbacks to exactly what Rick was talking about when he descended down the escalator. I was in New York City that day in June 2015. This was very reminiscent of that as well as his inaugural dress. But what I have to ask, and I don't know how if you guys noticed this, but I wonder if heads are going to roll. I'm looking at this YouTube live feed, and there's at most Hmm. 4,000 people watching this. And the people upset by that would be Donald Trump and the Democrats, because Democrats want Trump out there as much as possible. He wants himself out there. But if that's all they're getting, 4,000 on YouTube, you know, cats get more than that on YouTube. Oh, jeez. Well, they get millions. Yeah, cats are cute and adorable. I should say that. But Rick, none of the three-letter networks took it. Uh, None of the major news networks took anything long form that I'm aware of. Those who did dipped in, dipped out. Uh, Does that tell us something about Donald Trump? We didn't expect wall-to-wall coverage from a Mike Pence speech, but there was kind of some anticipation here, some buzz around this Trump summit. Yeah, I'm actually impressed by the discipline that the media has had. Look, this is a former president without specific prospects for future leadership, right? I mean, even though he teases it, he's not a candidate for president. He's a former president. And how many former presidents get their speeches covered? None. And so, frankly, I would have said that there's a better chance that Mike Pence is probably a candidate for president in 2024. But, like, nobody covers any of their speeches. I mean, when was the last time you saw a bunch of people covering DeSantis' speeches? None. And he's more likely to be the nominee than either of those two in my book. This had a sense of debut, though, did it not? I mean, it realized it wasn't a real campaign launch, but it sure felt like one. You know, I I actually got the opposite impression. I mean, these are two guys who are well-honed. They've served uh, in an administration together. And to be honest, it was kind of a tired act. I mean, I, I, there was nothing new here. I mean, they Mike reiterated Pence. sort of their their history. Oh, look at all this great stuff we accomplished, and like yeah. in two short years, it all went to hell in a handbasket. Well, and <laughs> it was just kind of a tired from, act. From from a production standpoint, though, did did you not feel like Mike Pence was a campaign event, Jeannie? This, you know, the the young people introducing him, they had the music pumping when he walked in. He started with the jokes. It was kind of, it seemed like he was checking all the boxes. Yeah, I think he was. You know, he they got the visuals, the music, all those things you described. I have to say I give him credit for the joke. I am not a funny person, but that joke, I think he's got to do better on that. <laughs> oh, I disagree. Um, yeah, I know you liked it, Joe Matthew, and I know he's trying to be personal. but No, you know, I think you're funny. I, I think, thank you, Joe. But I think, you know, his, I think his message is right, his tone is right, but the messenger may not do it for, for 2024. Really incredible. Maybe we'll have to get back into this a little bit later on, but we have a lot to talk about as the CHIPS Act for real. It actually, yes, it's moving forward. Could get a real vote tomorrow. And we're going to be talking about that straight ahead uh, with Congresswoman Deborah Ross, Democrat from North Carolina, as well as the need for COVID funding, according to the White House. This is Bloomberg. So that was easy, wasn't it? A $52 billion boost to the domestic semiconductor industry, as I read on the terminal, moves one step closer to reality. The Senate advanced the bill providing grants, incentives, tax breaks to the sector, set it up for final passage this week. They say we could get a vote tomorrow, the next day, according to uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. This is the yeah, this is the same one we've been talking about pretty much as long as we've known each other. 
uh, certainly over a year, the CHIP Act, they they stripped it of everything else. Well, even though they didn't, they were a few things along with this, but it's not the big bill that's been held up in conference uh, with a hundred conferees now for a few months. So how quickly can this move along and how long will it take for it to to have an impact? My goodness, we've talked about this up and down with Secretary Gina Raimondo among many lawmakers. And sometimes that second question is difficult to answer. It's a pleasure to bring in Congresswoman Deborah Ross, Democrat from North Carolina, to talk to us about it. Congresswoman, welcome. How quick does this happen? If the Senate gets this done in the next couple of days, what's the House prepared to do? The House is prepared to get it done before we leave for our August recess. And we've already been told to be prepared to stay Friday night if it takes doing that. I serve on the Rules Committee. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a couple of meetings that are already set up where we could take it up, but we are always subject to the call of the chair and the speaker calling us in, and we are ready to act as quickly as we can. All right, so this is clearly a priority here. You get it done before August recess. Does the president sign it? Is this a law, say, next week? Oh, I think so. I think the president will as soon as it comes to his desk. This is definitely something that will help with inflation. Back when we first started to talk about this, it was more about supply chain and and national security. You know, these chips are in things that we use every single day. Mm -hmm. And so people were wanting to buy cars and motorcycles. I even visited a motorcycle dealership in my district where they said they were having trouble um, getting parts and things like that for motorcycles. They, the chips also go into dishwashers, but they go into <laughs> medical devices as well. Right. And so we and javelin missiles, as they say, they go yeah. into everything. We can't fight a war without them. We can't even, you know, open the door without them. Uh, literally, in this case, a Congresswoman, what took so long? Is this an example of a of a good bipartisan issue being bogged down by a lot of a lot of attachments? This could have been done a year ago. I think that the House and the Senate had um, slightly different approaches to it. Uh, Of course, the chips part of it was not something that was in contention. Right. Uh, But many of the things that the House was interested in doing have been put back into the bill. I have three bills that I got through the Science, Space and Technology Committee that are now part of the legislation and two amendments. Um, It was a combination of dealing with immediate needs but also preparing us for the future, mm-hmm. investing in the scientific enterprise, investing in education. Yeah. So the great thing about this bill is it deals with an immediate crisis, but it also gets us ready for future innovation, uh, future supply chain issues, sure. and training up the next generation. The thing is, I mean, as far as anything immediate, I know you've got companies like Intel and Samsung who are investing in the U.S. because this is happening. They seem to be responding to that. But the real uh, setting up of an industry here, a a domestic semiconductor industry, is going to take years, won't it? I don't think so, because remember, um, we started producing semiconductors before these other companies. It's just that we out doing the manufacturing. And so there are um, businesses in my district that are fired up and ready to go on this. There's a business called Wolf Speed. I represent the Research Triangle area in North Carolina, Mm -hmm. and there is a lot of interest in moving things forward very quickly. So it's not like some other country came up with semiconductors. What we did (laughs) as 
with so many other things is yeah. outsource the manufacturing of it. And we now invented we it and we offshored it. Congressman Deborah Ross is with us, Democrat from North Carolina. I want to ask you, uh, Congresswoman, about uh, an urgent call from the White House that we've been hearing for months. And it's grown louder since the president came down with COVID. I want to uh, want us to listen to Ashish Jha, uh, the COVID response coordinator at the White House, talking about the need for money right now because things he says are beginning to run out. Here he is. Take our foot off the gas and stop, you know, all this work that we are doing. Um, we will slide backwards and we do not want that. And we can do a lot in the administration, but we need funding to do all those things. And Congress is the uh, part of our government that allocates funding. So my message to Congress is it's really important to continue to protect the American people. As we get into the fall and winter, we will need more resources. We need the resources now to prepare for the fall and winter. As you know, Congresswoman, the president asked for $22 billion a good six months ago. That was whittled down to 10 in some uh, negotiating, and then it never happened at all. Can Congress get this done before the fall? I really hope we can. And I think people are starting to see the imperative with the new variants of COVID. People really are. We have COVID fatigue. We want COVID to be gone. But what our people have figured out is COVID isn't going anywhere. It's a virus. It mutates. It is going to be with us, and we are going to have to figure out ways to live with it. We're going to have to have new vaccines. We're going to have to have new ways to protect ourselves. And the only way that's going to happen is if we invest in the research, if we invest in making sure that we keep people safe. And that is really coming home. I mean, every other day, another member of Congress comes down with COVID and the schools are going to start up in just a month or so. And we are going to see even more spread. This is why I asked because our workplaces are not unlike Congress or the white house for that matter. It's, it's a steady stream right now. Congresswoman Deborah Ross, thank you for joining us. Democrat from North Carolina. We'll turn this to the panel next. Let's say they get chips. Let's say they get COVID. The store closed after that. We'll talk about it with Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So the CHIP Act is on the move, set up for a real vote in the next couple of days in the Senate, and then it's on to the House, whereas you just heard here, On Bloomberg Radio from Congresswoman Deborah Ross, the House will likely take that and run with it straight to the president's desk. So it's another box to check here on what was a fairly uh, decent list at the start of the year for Democrats. There just hasn't been much movement on any of it. The other part of this would be, as we discussed, COVID funding. We reassemble our panel here to check on the list together. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. Jeannie, when when you hear the Congresswoman speak so optimistically about the CHIP Act, it gets to be kind of blue sky after that. You know, yeah, we need to get this COVID thing done. I think we can do it in that reconciliation bill. We're going to bring drug prices lower and all that in what? 
the next two weeks? Yeah, literally. I mean, the calendar does always work against them, particularly in this case, as so many members, all of the House and, you know, a third of the Senate want to get back to their districts for the break. And, you know, there is a lot on the table after chips. Um, you know, other things are the same sex marriage bill, mm. NATO for Sweden and Finland, the PACT Act, the American yep. Innovation Choice Online Act. And then, as you mentioned, reconciliation. Then you flip to the House. They have all of that. Plus, you've got a lot of moderate Democrats. They're in purple districts who want to do something to show that they are tough on crime and want to do some kind of police funding bill. So those things, you know, we may see movement on because it helps their reelection bids, but it's an uphill battle. Rick, you see the CHIP Act getting done. You've been saying that for weeks, so we'll park that there. What's real after that? Is there more COVID funding or will Republicans say turn back to the states and claw back the money you already sent? You know, I, I think that, that there may be more of a focus on the willingness to look at some funding for COVID. I mean, obviously, uh, we're all hearing the reporting, you know, hospitalizations are rising. Yeah. Uh, the pandemic is everywhere. And as you said uh, earlier, we're going to have to learn how to live with it. And part of that is funding the necessary public health infrastructure to do that. So mm. I think that as part of other uh, potentially reconciliation type items, if if there is an effort to uh, put forth this, um, you know, um, uh, 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 drug uh, bill. Maybe that could have a tack on. You know, there'll there'll be opportunities like that. But I don't think until the fall. I really don't think that there's enough time left in this administration. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, this summer to get those kinds well, of. Joe things Manchin done. already said as much, right? He wants to see another CPI. I'll see you in September. Right, exactly. And, and, and by the way, this is a huge victory to get this chip back done. Uh, it's a good thing for the country. It's another bipartisan bill that this administration can, can go out and talk about. And, and by the way, and Republicans are going to go out and talk about it, too, as being a great success for them. So uh, I think this is uh, going to end the summer on a high note for this administration and for Republicans alike. On the matter of learning to live with it, Listen to Ashish Jha again in the White House briefing room. This is the COVID response coordinator. And our, you know, our eyebrows went up uh, last week at this time when Corrine Jean-Pierre said, look, hey, everybody's going to get COVID. And some of this was following the president's uh, testing positive. Listen to the way Ashish Jha addresses this today. This virus is going to be with us forever. Uh, it's really, really important that people build up their immunity against this virus. And so I've been very clear for years, I mean, two years or a year and a half, I guess, since we've had vaccines, uh, that getting vaccinated was, is one of the best ways that people have to protect themselves. This virus is going to be with us forever, Jeannie. Is that consistent with what the administration has been saying? Is, is that different than we're all going to get it at some point? You know, I, I think they're trying to make the case that if you do get the vaccinations and that you do get boosted, that while you may still get it, and many yeah. of us have and will, you're not going to be hospitalized or on a ventilator or, or have serious consequences. So that's the message they're trying to get out there. You know, in their defense, I would say, when you were trying to initially push the vaccinations, they did have a different message for, I think, important reasons. And we've sure. seen that morphs for some, you know, morph as more people have gotten vaccinated. I guess I can't figure out, Rick, as you see the president do these daily updates and, you know, we're getting letters from the doctor every five minutes. They're really trying to overdo this, even though some are asking for more transparency. They want a news conference with the doctor. I don't know if you have a feeling for that. But as far as this goes, in, in terms of the argument to, to be vaccinated, is it giving people a reason to say, well, forget it if we're all going to get COVID? Or are they making the case in real time before Americans 
on what an almost 80 year old man can do with a COVID diagnosis because he's vaccinated. Yeah, I think, one, there is a little hangover from the way the Trump administration handled uh, the president getting COVID at that time. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of shut down. You really weren't sure what was going on. You know, yeah. there was this rejection of 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 isolation and things like that. So I, I do think this administration still has that hangover of like, we want to do everything the opposite of the Trump administration. And so I think you're seeing a little uh, correction in that, uh, too. Uh, I think that, that everyone is moving into, in a public health side, this idea of, as you say, living with it. And living with it means, you know, managing it. Managing it means getting vaccinated. And it's not anything new, but it's a recognition that there's no victory here, right? There's not going to be, you know, mission accomplished signs in front yep. of the White House on defeating COVID. And so the sooner we start treating it like, an, uh, uh, you know, a... A, a flu bug where everyone can get vaccinated and nobody gets into too much health problems with it, uh, then then I think, you know, people will start moving on. But we're probably not there yet from what the experts are telling us. Even this week, they're probably going to need more resources. And it's still a big initiative for the government. But yes. I think I wouldn't want to be in the White House sitting, setting targets yeah. on how many people are going to get vaccinated or how no. many people are going to get in the hospital. No, I think everybody's out of that game, uh, Jeannie. I mean, here we are, what, it's a year and a half later, year and a half, uh, with vaccines. Donald Trump still cannot say the word vaccine without being booed in a speech. Said today, uh, everything that he, Dr. Fauci instructed him to do, he, he took the opposite approach. We haven't come very far in some cases uh, in that argument, have we? We haven't. And, and, you know, it is maddening because I give Donald Trump a lot of credit for what he did to push the vaccination out there. And, of course, Joe Biden to take that mantle on and move it forward. And so many of us have benefited from that. And the fact that he tried at one point, Donald Trump, to say it and got booed and has now, as you mentioned, shied away from that. It's maddening. One thing I would say about Biden, I, I am one who thinks that the doctor should come out. I think Ashish Jha is wonderful. He does a great job. But I do think because we have a president who's 80 years old. And, you know, this is his health is a major concern. And so I am not sure why the doctors treating him or the doctor treating him does not talk to the press. I, I don't think he has to do it hourly. Yeah. But when you've got a, any president, but a president of this age, I, I do think it makes sense to send him out there. Rick, if you were back in the White House, would you send the doctor down to the briefing room? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I try to make it routine, right? I mean, it, there's nothing special here. So he would have done uh, this already then. Yeah, look, I was in the White House when Ronald Reagan, um, you know, got, had his cancer surgeries. And, and I mean, you know, uh, you have an obligation. These are servants of the people uh, to inform them of what's going on. And, and it's a difficult decision to make, but one that transparency usually wins out. They were pretty defensive about this. Karine Jean-Pierre uh, and Ashish Jha, when they were asked about this, Jeannie, in, in the briefing room, repeatedly saying, hey, look, we're giving you these letters. You're hearing directly from him. Is that the same thing? It isn't. You know, reporters have to be able to ask questions. And I think it raises more questions. Why are we keeping him hidden? As Rick said, once a day, once every two days, whatever the regular, you know, not a big deal, but let him go out and answer some questions and give the people the information they need. Yeah. Transparency is critical in a time of crisis with a president this age infected. We started this hour uh, with the panel uh, talking about Donald Trump and Mike Pence in the split screen speeches today. And I want to wrap up this fastest hour in politics by talking about something that's related to both. And that is the Electoral Count Act. We've we've discussed covid funding. We've discussed the possibility of reconciliation, the chip act, what might be left on the shopping list, if anything. 
but there's a there's a good chance that this gets to the floor. Uh, It's a bipartisan bill now to reform the Electoral Count Act to basically make clear that the vice president does not have the ability to overturn the results of an election. Does that need to get done or actually will that get done, Rick? It will get done. Uh, As you pointed out, uh, Joe, it's a very bipartisan bill. It was drafted with Republicans and Democrats. Shouldn't uh, be that controversial, right? It's not controversial unless somebody decides to stake out some kind of uh, conspiracy theory that somehow this doesn't strengthen our union. So this will happen. If it's not going to happen before the summer, it'll happen in the early fall. Nobody disagrees with this. Everyone wants to see this happen, and yeah. it'll make our our country stronger in the next election. There was a time, Jeannie, when some progressives were balking at this because it was, was not comprehensive electoral reform. Should Democrats support it? Absolutely, they should support it. The Electoral Conduct from 1887, it has long needed to be addressed and changed. And yes, I too would like to see more comprehensive reform in terms of our voting laws and procedures and processes. But you don't stop stop something that makes sense because you want more. You move forward with this and then try to get the rest done when you can. This is critical to our democracy. Well, so okay, there you go. I think we identified something again here. We've talked about this before, Rick. If you're going to have, you know, any kind of triumphant end to the summer, as you pointed out with, say, the CHIP Act, and you're part of the Biden administration, this is something you can point to directly coming off of the January 6 hearings that makes a change. That's right. And um, and look, I think the only limitation that this bill has right now is process, is procedures, is getting mm-hmm. the, night, the right rules in place and, and actually going through the time it takes to move a bill. So I don't really think there's anything politically that's a hurdle to this. And it is going to be, I think, seen as one of the one of the outtakes from the January 6th commission. Rick and Jeannie, great conversation as always. Our signature panel on Bloomberg Sound On, the fastest hour in politics. Thanks to everyone for being with us. Samara Klar and, of course, Congresswoman Deborah Ross. We'll do it again tomorrow. I'll meet you back here. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. And this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.